0: Welcome to the LifePoint Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ through intentionally serving, giving, and caring for our neighbor. We bring you Christ-centered messages from our pastors each Sunday, as well as engaging discussions relevant to your life. So grab a cup of coffee, get comfortable, and join us as we strive to grow as followers of Christ and make a positive impact in our community. Turn your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37. We're going to close out the prophet Ezekiel and how he pointed to Christ today. And then uh, we'll jump into other prophets as we continue on in the week. But chapter 37, while you're doing that, Life Point Seniors, we have your monthly potluck coming up this Saturday. And uh, so come on, grab something, bring it on down to what? It's here at the church at 2 p.m. So 2 p.m. If you'd like, you could just hang around the whole time because then we have worship night Saturday at 6.30 30 as well so 6 30 we have a worship night that's open to everybody the potluck is only those who are advanced in years and wisdom you like that yeah Um, and then we've also got a community picnic after third service right which is why you're here at second service so you can go home and make your crock pot meal or your dessert bring it on back one o'clock we'll be outside and inside it's going to be a great time weather looks like it should hold up and be beautiful and last but not least, we are just a few weeks away from Easter. Can you believe it? Which means Holy Week is coming up. April 2nd is Palm Sunday and then Good Friday. And I just want to encourage you as your pastor, invite someone. Invite somebody. I don't know if, for some of you that's easy. You're like, I always invite people. It's awesome. Others, that's going to be a big step to like step out of your comfort zone and invite them. But we want to encourage you and invite them. It would seem that at around Easter time, more than any other time of the year, people are most open to saying okay who's god maybe i'm gonna give him a chance so invite somebody we've got some great uh, services set up for that coming week and we look forward to having you having you and them here okay ezekiel 37. so this is uh this is quite possibly right the most famous of all of ezekiel's writings at least in our culture in our time it is the valley of dry bones and honestly if you knew anything about ezekiel often It's this vision that comes to mind. And so today we're going to read the scripture and then I hope to bring some interpretation and some application to it for you this morning. Starting in verse one, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord. He set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the bones. Say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. So he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. Therefore, I want you to prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. Let's pray. It's the word of the Lord. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear today, that you would penetrate to the hearts of those who are willing to receive this message and to receive you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've been talking about, Ezekiel is a prophet in Babylon, right? Israel is in exile right now. The Israelites are in exile. It is uh, part of the being cut off. You notice that language that was in there? It says they were cut off off. I think it's uh, verse 7, isn't it? Nope, not verse 7. It says they are cut off from the land of the living. The word cut off is covenantal language. Remember what a, how you would make a covenant back in the day? Take two animals, cut them in two, spread them on either side, and then you would walk in between them. And then the two parties or nations or whoever was making the covenant with each other uh, would walk through them. And what you're saying is, may I be as these animals if I break the covenant? And so to be cut off is covenantal language that is being used. That's going to be important later, so I just I want you to see that because it's going to come into uh, play here. So here's Ezekiel, and the Israelite people have been cut off from their land. They are in exile to Babylon. And what happens when you go into exile is you begin to lose your identity, right? I know that there are people here from other nations. Are there not? Who's here that came from another nation, another country? Is there anybody? I know you are. Yeah. Right? As you spend time over here, you begin to sort of lose some of that identity unless you're very intentional about it, don't you? You begin to fall into the traditions and the cultures of the place that you're at. And before you know it, if you aren't intentional, you will completely lose your identity. Now, one of the things that makes people intentional about their identity is hope. Hope. Hope that one day they'll see their home. Hope that one day they'll return. Hope that those that they loved from their home, they'll be able to see and have relationship with again. What is being said here and what is represented by the dry bones is a loss of hope. The people of Israel are not only in exile, but they are losing hope. They are losing life, which is why in verse 11 it says these bones are the whole house of Israel. They're the children of Israel. Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. Oh, verse 11, there it is. (laughs) We are cut off. We are cut off. And so... This is a fulfillment of prophecy in Scripture. But what the Israelites have been cut off from is their homeland, Israel, right? They've been cut off from Jerusalem. They've been cut off from their place that was given to them by God as a gift. Everything, all the land, all of the properties of the land, everything they had was a gift given to them. And now they're cut off and they're in captivity. So as we look at this and we see what it means, that it says... Uh, being cut off, and yet we know Abraham, lost train of thought for a second there, Abraham says that my descendants will be as as the stars in the skies and I will bless all the nations on the earth. So there is this glimmer of hope in the Israelites who remember the words of Abraham that we will not be completely wiped out here. If the word of the Lord is true, then we must survive if all the nations will be blessed through us. So in some way, salvation will come but the people are getting pretty dried up and waiting for that salvation. The hope is beginning to dry up. The, the desire for leaving is beginning to dry up. They're beginning to just assimilate into the culture, change worship, change how they are. And so here we have this word from Ezekiel, this vision that brings hope. That is the main vision behind the, dry, the valley of dry bones, friend. It is hope in the midst of crisis, hope in the midst of exile, hope so how do we apply this for today well if you look at what paul says in 1 corinthians 15 1 corinthians 15 if <clears throat> if we as christians have a hope only for this life then we of all people should be most pitied or most miserable here's the thing we all know that death is coming for each of us right sooner or later we're all going to die We've accepted it. It's a fact of life, like the sun rising and the sun setting. Everyone will have a moment, a time, when we die. But is death natural? Or is it imposed? Right? That's really the question we have to ask ourselves. Is it just part of nature, or is it imposed? What's the Bible say? You can say it out loud. Imposed. It's Imposed very clear in Genesis. God imposes it. He will number our years. Oftentimes, people look at death as punishment for sin, right? God imposed death because we sinned, and so he's like, there, I'm going to get you. Now you're going to die. Death is not punishment. Death is mercy. Death is a callback. It's a reminder that we are not eternal beings any longer. It's a remind. well, not everlasting beings. It's a reminder... That God is looking to have relationship with us, and we are out of relationship on this side of glory, and so death is mercy. Now, I know death doesn't feel like mercy, especially when it comes in unexpected ways and places, but it is a way for God to draw us back to himself, to bring the spirit part of who we are back to himself, right? That's death. What happens is in a culture that looks and says, well, death is just part of life. It's just the circle of life. God bless the 90s Disney movie. You guys know the movie? Yeah, Lion King. Uh, Mustache and his son, Simbi, uh, were having a conversation. And he wants to explain, explain life. You know, why do we eat the antelope? And Mustache says... We eat the antelope, but then we die and go into the ground and become fertilizer and help the grass to grow, and the antelope eat the grass. It's a beautiful circle of life. Which if we extend that thought out, and if Simba, I know their real names, if Simba were to actually have given it thought and not been a talking baby lion, he would have said, so wait a minute, you mean our ultimate purpose is to be manure, so antelopes can eat grass, like that's my ultimate purpose in life? Pretty much, (laughs) that's where you're going. You're just future poo for antelope and deer. (laughs) And so it sort of gets explained this way, and we live in a culture that says it's natural. We we mourn, but it's all natural, it's part of it. (laughs) This is not what the Lord says. The Lord says it's imposed. The Lord says there is a longing. There is something in us which says this is not right. There is something in us that says there has got to be more than this. Right? That's why Paul says if this is all there is, and we're going to put our hope in a God that isn't really there, and we are not spirit, we really are just matter, then we most of all should be pitied. Most of all. Because we're living in a delusion. But what he's alluding to and saying is, That's not who we are. We've seen the Christ. We've seen the works of God. We've seen the play out through history. And he is truth. Not just any truth, but the truth. A truth you can put your hope in. So what did God give the Israelites? He gave them this picture of resurrection. In verse seven, the bones come together and form a skeleton. In verse eight, the skin and tendons cover over the bodies. But that's still not enough, because what do you have now? You need the breath because you have a valley of what? (laughs) Corpses. Have you ever thought about it? Like That's a horrifying picture. All these bodies together now, it's not just dry bones, that's sort of one thing, but now you have all these dead, lifeless bodies. And it's not until verse 14, the spirit of God, it says he brings the four winds, the breath of God, and breathes life into them. But they still have a bigger problem, right? This is what Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel is getting to. They still have a bigger problem. They've been brought to life. They're physical living bodies, but they're still spiritually in exile. They're still spiritually in exile. Even though God has breathed life into them and they are breathing, the spirit is still dead. It says, We are born dead in our trespasses. Not mostly dead, not hurt, not injured not weak, dead. You were born physically alive, but spiritually dead. Isn't that a crazy thought? So when you come and you say, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit to come and live within me, what you're saying is, I want you to resurrect a dead spirit that is within me, my spirit, the essence of who I am, the thing that will go on everlastingly when this body gives up. I want you to come and reside in me. Now, that's a crazy thought if you're in here today and you're new to the church. If you're not, you're like, yep, I've already bought into all that. It's a crazy thought. But the thing that's crazier to me is the antelope poo. And that's all you're living for. You have nothing else in life. And then what is even crazier to me than that is that you would live by moral guidelines when you have nothing else to live for in life but becoming animal poo. Why would you do that? You have such a short amount of time on this earth. Why would you sacrifice? Why would you give of yourself? Why would you love others before yourself? Right? Why? Unless there's something more. And every single human being from every single culture, no matter how much you have lied to yourself, knows that this is not home. There is something more to this. And often it's that hope that carries people on. And what Jesus is saying here, right? Or what God is, the Holy Spirit is saying is I'm about to lead a return from exile for more than just my people and for more than just land. But I am about to lead you out of death itself. I will lead you out of the problem of death, the imposition of death and into life. And this will be a sign of it. You see that? Hope is a powerful thing, is it not? There's been all sorts of studies done on hope in people in the hospital and people with injuries, those who have hope, those who lose hope, and the power of hope. So how do you get this hope into you? It says, you have to hear the truth, be born again of the Spirit, and believe the gospel. That's pretty simple, right? We're all done? That's it. You have to hear the truth. This is why it's so important for you to talk with your neighbors, your friends, coworkers, and say, Hey, come to church. Holy Week. It's a week spoken of truth, and not just any truth, but the truth. It's a week focused specifically on the Messiah in the event of His death and His resurrection. And when you speak truth, and you bring people into this place where they hear the truth, that's the first step. What does Ezekiel say? When God asks him, can these bones live again? He says, you're sovereign, you know. And God says, prophesy to them. Speak to them. Speak truth over them. Right? Jesus is not some symbol of moral goodness, friends. He's not some way to live your life to make things better. He is the King of Kings. He is God Almighty. And so here's what's cool about that. If you live in a culture, which we do, that says you can have your Jesus, but you can have him alongside the two million other gods that are there, don't impose, don't say he's the only way, don't tell us how to marry or live or anything else. You just have your Jesus over here. Let me ask you something. Does a God like that sound like the kind of God that got the poor in Rome and the land surrounding Rome to look at their grinding poverty and oppression and say, yeah, I'll go for that. A nice symbol of how to be nice. That sounds good. Let's do that. Why is it we would sign up for such a weak God? Why is it we would submit ourselves to such a weak idea of a king that just wants us to be good. He wants to bring you to life. And he's showing us that it starts by first hearing the message. This is why your testimony is so important. Your testimony, wherever you're at, I can't reach him, the pastors can't reach him, your neighbor can't reach him, you can. And you've got to speak your testimony. It's the first step to somebody coming to the knowledge of Christ is your spoken testimony. Even that invitation, right? That invitation's scary because they might ask you, well, what's your relationship with God like? And then they might ask you to name all 66 books of the Bible. And you're like, oh my gosh. Good job. You got it. Well done. So if He breathes His life into you, we understand that... uh, When God breathes into something, it brings it to life. And that what he's saying here is that the Holy Spirit, the the winds from all four corners come, and so that's the Holy Spirit. And what it's showing is that there is going to come a time when God's breath will bring more than just physical life, but will bring spiritual renewal. Will bring dead bones, dead spirits, back to life with his breath. Now here's what's really cool. The second part, we have to be born again of the Spirit. You actually have to be born again of God's Spirit. His Spirit comes into you. When you breathe the oxygen that is outside, and right now the pollen and huh, fumes and everything else that's in our air. do you know what it does? It literally goes inside you. If you're sick and you have Vicks vapor rub and you breathe in that air, it goes inside. This is saying you have to receive God's Holy Spirit with it, inside you. No, it's a crazy thought. In fact, it's so crazy, Nicodemus had a massive problem with it. Right? In John 3, he's talking with Jesus, and he says, I don't get this born-again thing. How? It's a physical impossibility for me to be born again from my mother. Jesus says, you must be born again of water and the Spirit. You must be born again of water and the Spirit. I will put my Spirit in you. Now, this is so, so important to catch this, friends, because this is one of those concepts that doesn't fit culturally with us, and so we ignore it. And we, we don't mind the concept of, I asked Jesus into my heart, right? We, sure, I asked Him into my heart. I said a prayer. Someone prayed over me at church. But this concept's a little weird because this is you admitting that you are spiritually dead and helpless without the ability to do anything to save yourself. This is recognition that it is by God's Spirit alone. Can I be saved? Can I even worship Him? Can I call on Him? Can I read the Scripture and have Him come alive? His Spirit does all of that. His Spirit upholds us completely. So what's this new birth looks like? Well, it starts with you saying, I believe. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that there is a spiritual resurrection. And in 1 Peter 1.3, it says that we are born again into hope. When you are born again, you are born again into hope. What is it the Israelites had lost? Hope. What is one of the first things you and I lose when tragedy strikes us or difficult situations hit us? Hope is the first thing to go, usually. And if if we're wise, right, we fight to get hope back. But oftentimes what happens, and I've been victim to this personally many times, is the mindset of the tragedy becomes more than we can bear and we can't see past the tragedy. And so hope feels impossible. We continually look backwards to everything that was. And then we look at our life and we try to look forward and we're like, it's never going to look like this again. And we can't imagine hope being available. Friends, hear this truth that to be born again into hope means to rely and fully trust on Jesus for everything. Everything. Every situation, every sorrow, every heartache, every bit of bad news. Which if you're going to do that, means you have to have a pretty intimate relationship with him. Right? We have to hear the truth. We have to believe and be born again. And third, we must believe in the gospel the good news that by the cross and the resurrection, we are saved, set free from sin that held us down. That's the good news. You know that? That is the good news, that, that God came not to just set us free from exile in a land or a difficult situation or an injury, but He came to set us free from physical death Look, I want you to see this. In Isaiah 53, 53, 53.8, you can write this down, but listen to this. This Remember what I said with the language? Isaiah 53.8, he was cut off from the land of the living. He was cut off from the land of the living. Jesus, do you see how these prophecies, this is so wild. Either this is an unbelievable coincidence over thousands of years and hundreds of generations of people, or there's an almighty God orchestrating the story. Isaiah says he was cut off from the land of the living. Who? Do you know what the rest of Isaiah 53 is about? The Messiah, the Jesus. It says the Messiah will be cut off from the land of the living, meaning he will pay the covenant penalty for your sin. So you don't have to be cut off. He will pay. That language is important because it's showing that God did not turn his head towards sin and just say, ah, well, I'll forgive it. But that the price was paid. A price we could not pay. A place we could not go and come back from. He was cut off so that we could be received by the Lord. That last verse says, I will put my spirit in you, I will settle you in your own land, and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. Here's the question that came to my mind when I read that. Don't they already know it's the Lord talking to them? Like, it says that multiple times. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have done this. Well, this is your people, these are your your people, right? The Jews, they already know you're their Lord. Why does it say that? Why does it say, then they will know that I am Lord? And this is a universal truth that I'm going to close on here and one that I hope for some of you today will bring hope to whatever situation you're in. When you have been in exile, to know the Lord after exile and see him deliver you from it is a weight of God's glory that you cannot experience anywhere else. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, your afflictions are preparing a weight of glory. When Jesus Christ appeared in that upper room, what is it he showed his disciples? The scars. The scars on his hands and feet. Why weren't those healed? Why aren't those gone? He's in his new body, right? But why aren't those gone? Why would the stars still be there? Because the scars represent the weight of his affliction. And without them, you cannot know him. And so they're there to remind us that this costs something, right? And so your affliction in this life, it costs something. I had a chance this week, Wednesday, I would set aside to build a shed in my backyard, and it rained all day Wednesday. God didn't want me to be out there working. And so I sat in my shop, and I have put off watching The Chosen Season 3, I just haven't been in the right mindset, and every time I sit down, I'm like, I just, I usually end up crying, and I don't want to do that if I'm around anybody, and I don't feel like crying, because crying's stupid, and so I haven't watched it. I have just said, nope, I'm not watching it. Well, it's like 9.30 in the morning, it's raining, and God's like, you got nothing going on. The kids are all busy, wife's working. I'm like, oh no, am I going to cry? And so, sure enough, I watched all eight episodes of The Chosen. from like nine till six, seven at night. I would worship in between them. I had the Bible open. It was like the most incredible day I've had in a long time where I just spent it with the Lord. And I got to say, season three, it's an incredible season because the, the theme of the season is Psalm 77. Remember that song I played last week, though you slay me, I will follow? That's the the theme of the season. And here's one of the things that I continue to be shocked by. When you watch them back to back to back, it's all still real fresh in your mind. But the disciples are with Jesus when he raises Jairus's 12-year-old daughter from death, right? They're there. They watch it happen. And then just days, maybe weeks later, he's out on the countryside, where he begins to come against opposition. And they show this in the show. It's so great. It brought to life these verses. I've read. And, and he, it brings this opposition. And to see Jesus come up against opposition, not just from Pharisees, but now from Gentiles and Greeks. Right? And, and they, it feels like they catch him because they're like, your own disciples don't know what they're doing. Right? And it's sort of like this, oh, what's he going to say to that? Because his disciples are really stupid. <laughs> They're fighting over things they shouldn't fight over. They're arguing amongst themselves. Like, How embarrassing is that for the Son of God? To, his own 12 followers can't even agree on anything. And so as all of these people begin to surround him, and the thousands start coming down, and this is where Jesus is going to preach to the thousands and multiply the fish and the loaves, his disciples start freaking out panicking right we've got to get them out of here we've got people coming from the east and the west and, and they're afraid for their lives and the whole time I'm thinking because I'm sitting safe in my shop as it rains outside what are you scared of you're with Jesus the man raises the dead he heals everybody who comes into contact with him you have seen it and witnessed it for about two years now is about where we're at what are you afraid of and I'm telling you, as I'm having that thought, I wish the Lord didn't work on me like this. But he's like, what are you afraid of? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I'm fine. I'm not as scared of anything. Huh? I have Jesus. And it was like this moment where I looked at my life and I looked at things that scare me. And those same words came back to me. Jesus, I'm right here with you. Why are you scared? It'd be one thing to have those crowds surrounding you and Jesus isn't there. But he's right there. And it, begin, it it's an eye-opener to where am I placing my hope? Am I placing it in my physical surroundings? Am I placing it in my relationship with my spouse? Am I placing it in my children? Am I placing it in my health? I, 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 if you ask me, I will tell you my hope is in Jesus Christ. But what, I, what I'm fearful of and what makes me anxious will actually tell you what my hope is in. And so, I think for us, when we look at our afflictions, we have to understand that God's hope isn't changed or diminished through our afflictions. It is magnified. Who He is, the weight of who He is, is magnified in our life. And we're going to need Him to uphold that. You know that? You're going to need Him to uphold that. You can't uphold that on your own. You can't. Be the champion of your faith. He is. You just continually die to self and humble yourself before him. I humble myself before you, Lord. This is really tough when we're experiencing something that is a loss that we feel we cannot give back. They, in season three, they have a sub-story with Peter and his wife that's not biblical, Um, but they have this sub-story to prove a biblical point of he and his wife getting pregnant and then miscarrying, but it was kind of kept secret. And so they show Peter in the last few episodes dealing with this pain and his incredible anger at God. Could you imagine being one of the disciples, watching Jesus heal everybody else, even Gentiles, and yet you just allowed your own wife to lose your, your child? I could relate to that. And it's so good because Peter, being Peter, and what we know of him from the scriptures, he's angry and he's mad at God and he's mad at Jesus and he really wants nothing to do with him and he starts being standoffish and he doesn't want to help, he doesn't want to assist, he's like, whatever, this guy's going to do whatever he wants. And it's so cool because in the scriptures, it goes straight from feeding the 5,000 into when he walks on water out to the disciples in the storm, right? Now, this is wild. I'm going to close with this. So where's it, wherever the band is, we'll have them come up. But this scene was so cool. I've grown up since Sunday school hearing about this scene and how they brought it to life with them crossing the water to get to the other side. And you see Jesus coming out and the storms happening. And what's really crazy is by the time this was the last episode, so episode eight, it was getting, it was dark um, and it was storming in real life outside. So as the thunder was crashing in the movie, thunder was crashing and raining outside. And I'm like, Jesus, I kept looking out my shop door to see if I saw the figure coming through. And I was going to ask to float out to him, though, because it wasn't raining enough for me to walk on water. And as I, it was so intense, though, because it was like really 3D all around me. And Peter is so angry and he's so hurt and you can feel it. And he tells him, if you are... If you are him, if you are Jesus, then call me out under the water. And there's this first, this arguing. He's dealing with his emotions, his anger that God would allow this to happen. How is it you heal all these around and you allow my child to die? And the Lord says, you will have to understand that in order to know me, in order for me to know that you are mine and that you love me, it cannot be that just for, that things always go well for you. I love you, and I've always been here for you, right? And that's the word for you. And then Peter walks out on the water and keeps his eyes on him until he doesn't, and then he falls, and when he grabs onto him, he just for like 30 seconds straight is hanging on to him saying, don't let go, don't let go. That's his repentance, that's his, brokenness from the whole season don't let go jesus i have been wrong forgive me my encouragement to you is twofold as we close if you're a believer in here and have followed the lord for a while but have felt a loss of hope have felt dry have felt like you've been carrying your relationship with the lord i want to just tell you that's a lie from the devil and you've been blind for a little bit and you need to repent from that you need to say, God, forgive me. I need you. You uphold me, you carry me. I will seek you and I will lay my life before you, but you uphold me because I can't do it. For others of you in here who either have no relationship with the Lord or, or just have been considering or, or been at church for a while, but you won't you say that you've received his Holy Spirit, that he's Lord of your life, For you, I want to encourage you to make that decision today. You've heard the word. The word has been preached. The good news of the gospel has been preached. Salvation through Christ alone. And now it's time for response. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, if you just said a prayer at one time and you've always wondered why you've never felt the power of God that other people talk about or that you read about in here, maybe you need to come today and say, I need God's Holy Spirit living within me. I need to humble myself to come and ask for. And we pray our partners up here. I'm up here. Come up. I'll, I'd love to pray with you. But it's for freedom that we have been set free. And we're going to celebrate communion here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Ears to hear, eyes to see, Lord, please. And the courage, Lord, to move. Uphold us, Jesus, this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We take communion because it's just that, it's communion. To commune with someone is to be in relationship with them, to sit, to enjoy each other's presence. Before Christ, we couldn't come before God in communion. The barrier of sin and the bondage it had us in did not allow for communion. So we celebrate all these years later when we gather together the body and the blood of Christ because we were able to sit here today and for the last hour commune with him. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) So we thank you, Lord, for the body of Jesus, that he stepped down from his throne and from glory in order to give himself as a sacrifice. We worship you. We bring all honor and glory to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Then he took the cup, and here's the thing. So oftentimes when we think of Jesus and his sacrifice, we have the cross, right? The empty cross. As Christians, we have an empty cross. Catholics have a cross with Jesus on it. Here's my question, where is the stone cross, the cave cross that shows an empty tomb? Because if he just died, that's not not a big deal. But he didn't just die. You see, when he shed his blood and died the way he died in the fullness of time, he went to death and defeated death. He didn't just die and do a magic trick and come back to life while he was dead. It says he defeated death. He preached the good news to those who had gone before and overcame sin and death and then resurrected himself. And so it's by the power of his blood that one day you and I, if you are his son or daughter, we will resurrect into glory as well. And so we thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus Christ, for the cross and for the empty tomb. It's in his name we pray, amen. As we close in worship, I invite you again, come forward. If you want prayer for anything else going on in your life, if you feel hopeless and you want prayer, come forward. If you just need to be encouraged, come forward and pray. Let's pray, let's worship and pray together. Would you stand?